years, your brain might turn to putty. But there's still a chance to learn. We'll be your study buddies. We're going to talk about some stuff and make research cool. Welcome back to another episode of Study Buddies, the podcast that brings you the latest in science and psychology. And sometimes more. My name is Paula Sanchez-Abreu. And my name is Taylor Collins. We're your co-hosts. Woo! We're back. We back. Um, it's another week, and what do we got at another week? We got, you know what it is, another study. Um, yeah. Yeah, so today I am so excited to bring you guys a study that I just, I truly <laughs> feel that it will resonate with so many people. I think it will too, unfortunately. So today I will be explaining to you guys why I have had a PDF named Workplace Bullshit on my computer for several <laughs> weeks. And surprisingly enough, it's actually not work documents from my nine to five named dismissively out of anger on a Monday morning, <laughs> but instead named after the study we are about to get into today. Girl, I have had those Mondays myself, but I'm glad that that's not what this is about. It's not about the work document on a Monday. This is a juicy, juicy yeah. study. So tell us, what is it called? So this study is a 2020 article called, This Place is Full of It. Towards an organizational bullshit perception scale. Oh my gosh, the word bullshit really in the title of a fancy schmancy academic journal article? Oh yeah, you bet. The authors of this paper seem to have a little bit of sass. Yeah, definitely my kind of researchers. Oh, me too. <laughs> they actually define workplace bullshit as individuals within an organization making statements with no regard for the truth. Oh, okay. Yes. Wow. Like, I don't know, the entire oil industry staying in business by lying about science. Can anyone with me say Exxon? What? <laughs> but that's awesome. I love that this can actually be measured. Oh, yeah, it can. Um, so this study is a little bit different than some of, some of our other studies that we've done in the past, as the point wasn't just to measure, like, Levels of bullshit in one place, like go to one job and see how much bullshit's mm -hmm. going on, but instead to establish and validate a scale called the Organizational Bullshit Perception Scale, or ABAPS. Oh my god, amazing. ABAPS. OBPS, which... Could then be used to measure individuals' perceptions of bullshit in the workplace. Oh, okay. So this organizational bullshit perception scale, these these authors were creating this way to measure bullshit. Exactly. So today's study is less of an experiment and more of a way to test out a new scale. Um, okay, that is amazing and like so necessary because I want to use it, I don't know, every day. But why did the authors want to measure bullshit? Well, the authors basically share that there's so much BS going on in the world Preach. that we just accept as day-to-day -day life. Mm. They describe it as acts of communication that have no grounding in truth. Oh, like 
Like, it's like when you run into someone from, like, high school or, like, a long time ago and you say, oh, my gosh, yes, we should totally get together soon. That'd be so great. But, like, you both know, like, 100% neither of you will actually ever make oh my God, coffee no. or lunch plans to, like, catch up or whatever. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. It's exactly that. And to anyone listening that I've done this to, I genuinely totally, totally want to hang out with each and every one of you and we'll def talk about it. Like, over lunch next week, I'll text you, okay? <laughs> right, Definitely. For sure. (laughs) And that's the thing. It happens so often in our relationships, Mm -hmm. in politics, culture, and organizations, but we don't really formally study it that much. Yeah, I mean, I never really thought about that. Like, it's basically lying that we're okay with. Sort of. The authors actually say there's a difference between bullshit and lying. They argue, Mm. while liars care about the truth, know it, and deliberately misrepresent it, bullshitters neither know nor care whether something they communicate is true or not. As bullshitters don't care what the truth is, this affords them freedom to say whatever it takes to further their agenda. Okay, so this reminds me precisely, you remember those kids in high school that would like show up to class and, and like truly have done no work whatsoever? Like they have done no work and they like the the I remember oh my god this was me in every math class there was so. this there was this one <laughs> Feeling kid triggered. this isn't this is actually like crazy to me I remember this one kid wrote an entire essay about a book he never read didn't try to like be accurate at all like just made it like a very like emotional essay and he got a higher grade than me and I will never I will never ever forget that but and and I remember saying like are you freaking kidding me Mark like how like what and he was like I don't know like this is just like sometimes you just got to get good at bullshit yeah and that's the thing I feel like charismatic people can get away with it right yeah yeah and so it's really interesting because like there's bullshit in our general world but this study is really looking at like workplace Mm -hmm. and they shared some findings that they had explored in previous literature Mm. and they had said that when employees have to deal with bullshit, like repeatedly on the day to day in the workplace, they have four different ways that they can respond. So one is to exit, to escape the bullshit. Two is to voice, Mm -hmm. confront the bullshit. Three is loyalty to embrace and spread the bullshit. And four is neglect to disengage from the bullshit. I, I got to say, I do feel like I do all of those. But recently, most recently, I have been super into voicing it because I think that that one can be really fun. Although I think I would struggle with voicing it in the workplace. But with friendship, I definitely voice voice the bullshit. Oh, yeah. I feel like it also depends on what mood you're in that day. Yeah, it's true. And it's challenging when you use the voice one, like you confront the bullshit and you're fed bullshit back, back yeah. that just like placates your confrontation, yep. even though yeah. you know it's valid and you feel like you're crazy. Yeah. Painful. Yeah. Well, the authors actually say that workplace bullshit can result in things like lower job satisfaction, mm-hmm. a reduction in pro- productivity, and a mistrust in leaders. Yeah. So bullshit actually isn't bullshit. It's like pretty darn important in a workplace. Yeah. So how did researchers create a scale to measure bullshit? Well, first they took a dive into the prior literature and engaged in a collaborative process with the other authors on the paper 
and mm-hmm. colleagues to identify and refine items based on clarity and concept. And they look to reduce the items that were redundant and make sure some of the items were reverse coded and ultimately ended up with a 15 item scale. So this 15 item scale explored three factors of bullshit identified in prior studies, which included one, regard for truth, two, the boss, and three, bullshit language. Okay, so these factors are like the three areas that the study is looking at in order to ultimately measure bullshit. Yep. Okay, so tell us about that first factor you mentioned, regard for truth. So these are items that look to measure whether employees feel there's a culture in their workplace that expects statements and discussions at work to be based on evidence and established knowledge. So Hmm. items from the scale included things like, in our organization, people often make assertions that they cannot support. Or in our organization, you can persuade people to do things even if the evidence doesn't support your arguments. Interesting. Okay. What about the second factor, the boss? So this factor was designed to look at how leadership in the organization bullshits. Mm -hmm. So it looked at how much subordinates perceive their bosses to engage in bullshit. And Mm -hmm. examples of items in this factor were in our organization, my boss will say whatever it takes to pursue their agenda or In our organization, even when people don't know what they're talking about, my boss will often go along with their suggestions. Wow. Okay. This is all, I'm PTSD. Um, (laughs) I'm sure so many people are screaming in their heads right now. Yeah, seriously. Um, Okay. And then what about this last factor, uh, bullshit language? So this was looking at language that's used to make things sound good, but has no real substance. So like a lot of overly confusing or idealistic corporate jargon or acronyms mm-hmm. that don't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. If you've ever worked in a place where there was some commonly said slogan by management that you would sarcastically say to another coworker with air quotes and an eye roll, it would yeah. go here. Um, this is a lot of things that their partners just dis- like people's partners discovered that their partners um, like their spouses when they were all working from home would say things like, oh, like we'll circle back on that. Or like, you know, let's think out of the box <laughs> on this one. Or we're, we're all in this together. Like those stupid, vague little statements that have no meaning. And I remember hearing stories about people like like learning that their spouses were one of those people and be like being like very turned off and like alarmed and like not okay with their like <laughs> their, how their partner was conducting themselves at work. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. It's like a peep into an area of your partner or spouse's life that you would like never have ever done. Yeah. You would never see. Exactly. And so examples from this bullshit language, like items were things like in my organization, people use jargon far too often or Mm. in our organization, people use acronyms far too often. Oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. Right. So the authors expected that all three of these factors would relate to each other so that if one factor was highly present, it would be more likely that the others would be present too. Okay, cool. So how did they actually test the scale? 
Well, they did two studies. The first one had 332 responses solicited from social media and email. Respondents completed an online survey with the 15 items and also some demographic information. In this study, over 65% of the participants actually had an education level of a master's degree or higher, which is pretty high. Mm, yeah, yeah. And for the second study, authors paid for access to full-time workers from like a database that pays users for survey responses and mm-hmm. ended up with 343 responses, respondents. And in this study, over 60% of the participants had a bachelor's degree or lower. Interesting. Okay, so they, like, got a full um, range of, like, where potentially people might be working based on education level, things like that. So, yeah, somewhat. I think they did a little bit of different things with each of the data sets. So it would be, they could get, I would think, even a wider range okay. in, in the future. Yeah, for sure. And then what were the results when they tested the scale with these studies? Did it work? Well, they did a lot of fancy statistics, including an exploratory factor analysis, which measures the relationship between different variables to see if they all actually make sense together and what the results are looking like. So that way they can see if any items are like really out of whack with others. And all items exceeded the scores needed to be practically significant. Mm. And they also found out that the scale was statistically reliable with a Kronbach alpha of 0.9, which is actually pretty high. That's good. Reliable means that the scale is consistent. So like if you retake it, you'll get similar results. Yeah, but they also needed to measure validity, which is a bit trickier. So that's looking to make sure that the overall scale and those 15 items are really isolating and measuring the concept Mm -hmm. that they want to study and not including extra fluff or missing things in a way that messes up the data. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We got to take our science neat, you know, hold the fluff. So how did they do this? The, how did they do the test for validity? Well, they did some more. Fancy statistics. In order to test this, including comparing the results to a simple question that they had asked participants about how much bullshit they perceived in their organization with the answers one, no bullshit, two, a little bullshit, three, some bullshit, and four, a lot of bullshit. (laughs) They also compared how factors and items in the scale measure up to each other in the results and found that the convergent validity was acceptable. They So a lot of these things are kind of, again, fancy statistical terms and words and tests, but essentially they're saying that there is some evidence that this is a pretty decent scale. However, they did find the second group of participants, um, the paid group, that there were some bias in the reverse-coded items. What do you mean by reverse-coded? So reverse coded means that they were worded in a way that's kind of switched to measure the same concept. So for most of them, if there was more bullshit, you would rate higher. But on a reverse item, more bullshit would actually mean you would rate lower. So here's an example. Mm. One item would be, in our organization, my boss often says things that may or may not be true. And if there was a lot of bullshit, you would like rate that really high. Yeah. So with the next one, 
when my boss speaks, they usually back up their opinions with logic. If you rated that really high, it would mean there isn't a lot of bullshit. So you would actually want to rate that one low if your boss is not a big bullshitter. So you would end up rating them kind of one really high and one really low to just measure the same amount of bullshit. Oh, I understand. Yeah. So like, it's basically like the, the items, like they say the scale is like one to one to five or whatever. And they rate like five for one of like, my boss often says things that may or may not be true because their boss is a bullshitter and five is like high. And then when my boss speaks, they usually back up their opinions with logic. It would be like a one because that's not necessarily the way that their boss conducts himself because they bullshit a lot. I know that sounds really confusing. So kind of like an example would be like a reverse coding would be, I like the color yellow and you would have a yes or no. And if I liked it, I would say yes. And then the next thing would be, I do not like the color yellow. I would switch my answer. So you would say no. So it's just, right. It's just changing the question. So that way you would kind of switch it. Got it. So like the question says two opposite things. So you have to answer it oppositely. Yeah. They're reversed. So essentially, they found in the second group, that paid group, the people who are paid to do kind of surveys Mm -hmm. online, that there was some bias in the reverse coded items. So basically, that means that when the item things were switched, if they were supposed to be consistent, the one, the couple ones that were switched, they ended up rating kind of weirdly, because it seems like maybe they were not paying attention, or they had a bias on like clicking on a certain side. Or there's lots of different reasons, like maybe even reading the question wrong. Or yeah, something. like if they're just moving through, like clicking through the survey too fast, the issue with online stuff, like not paying attention. Yeah. And so the authors reported this, the reverse coding bias was probably explained by that, like misreading, not paying attention. Since the issue only came up with the second set mm. of paid survey responders, and not with the first set of voluntary participants. Interesting. But they did say that it was important for further research to look into investigating and testing the scale more. Yeah. And I mean, while we're on the topic, we knew they were coming, but what were the other limitations of this study? Yeah, well, this study was looking to create a scale that is the first of its kind, this first bullshit scale ever. (laughs) And anytime we're looking to create a scale to measure a construct, there's going to be limitations to how valid the measurement is. And the authors acknowledge that there are these limitations as well. Right. We love that accountability. Are there any um, specific examples? Yeah. So they could look to gain kind of like we had talked about briefly before access to a more like a larger, more varied, more reliable sample in order to avoid that reverse bias issue that they had encountered in study two. And my guess is that the data set from study one uh, was also a sample of like kind of colleagues and people that they had access or connections to, which may have led to some sampling bias. Mm. Um, Also, the study could have controlled for employees' attitudes towards their organization. Yeah. Which definitely may be a confounding variable. Yeah, like I might have answered differently after like my last job as opposed to like my first job ever that I like really loved. Like it just could be completely different depending on which job I just left or which job I'm talking about. Right. So having like a bad day or a conflict with your boss at work might change how you answer. Mm -hmm. And maybe even like your 
overall feeling of job satisfaction in general. So yeah, yeah, that's crucial. Those types of things are things that researchers could also look to measure, so that way they can control for them. Yeah, though that makes total sense. Wow, um, what a weird, cool study that has now given us a bullshit scale. I love it so much. For for some reason, I've always found it like super fascinating how we create scales to measure things, like. Because we really yeah. do, we use like scales and indexes to like measure whether or not you so have often. depression or like how to assess yes. so many things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you actually have to do studies to create the scales that you use in studies. In studies. <laughs> Science. We got to love it. <laughs> a lot of meta work there. Um, yeah, truly. It's like a cake. There's so many layers. And particularly a study on bullshit, I think, is just so salient in a time where there's so much conflicting views and yeah. news. And so I don't know about you, but my mind is racing for passing notes next week. I think we're going to have a yeah, lot sure. to dish about. Girl, we're going to talk all day about that bullshit scale, but not all day because that would be really exhausting of a podcast episode. I think you guys would probably, they would tune out after a while. I wonder if anyone would make it to the end. I 100%. I wouldn't listen to myself for longer than 15, 20 minutes. You guys really commit to us in a way that I just, I, it's beautiful and I appreciate it. If you made it this far, hit us up. Paolo will buy you coffee. (laughs) All right, Taylor. Well, you really just uh, gave them my wallet like that. So uh, with that being said, yeah, totally guys hit me up. I'll, you know what? Text me. I'll text you. We'll hang out next week. It's going to be great. Okay. Oh my God. I'm so excited to see you. So pumped to see you. It's been like so fun running into you and catch. And I can't, I like, can't wait to catch up. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll go out. Well, we'll see you next week, hopefully for real for the passing notes episode. And I hope you all have like a super fantastic week. Bye buddies. Bye. You can follow Study Buddies on Instagram at Study Buddies Podcast or send us an email at studybuddiespodcast at gmail.com. Study Buddies is created and produced by Paula Sanchez Abreu and Taylor Collins. Our podcast is edited by Renee Collette. Our music was composed by singer-songwriter Caught In Between. Our graphics were designed by Monica Ray Summers Gonzalez. Our social media is run by Kieran Dio. Media photography by Sherry Lynn Photography.